the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. We're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 214. 214. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, uh, we have quite a bit to jump into this week, man. We got uh, the Delta variant causing some problems for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. We'll see what happens with it, but it, it's, uh, it's catching steam, it feels like. Yeah, man, I, I, uh, I've seen a lot of stuff out in the news with it, man. I, there's a, a few things that kind of unrelated that I wanted to jump into. So did, uh, any new reviews or anything this week? Any five stars? No. What's up people? Drop a five star review. Hold your boys. Help us out here. Help us out here. All right. Well, uh, so Ryan, just before we jump into some of the news here with the Saudis and stuff, uh, did you see where, uh, New York was talking about, um, imposing the, uh, vaccine passports right to go in to eat at restaurants to yeah. go to the gym uh did you see that yeah i did i did was it satire or was it like is it legit like it was de blasio that said it right yeah you have you know new york's they're they're they're, they're lovely you have the the governor who's responsible for killing people and you know sexually harassing us slew of women on one hand, and then you have de Blasio, who's trying to implement vaccines, passports. Oh, by the way, criticizing the governor governor for being a despicable human. It's 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 a it's a, it's a freak show up there right now. It is just craziness. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I mean, I, there there's some concerns I have about what this is going to do to the economy, just from a New York standpoint. Um, man, I, I saw it. I was like, there's no way this is gonna. There's no way this is gonna go through. There's no way. There's no way. But yeah. Uh, it's, the, it's the year after 2020, so maybe maybe it works. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot, a lot of constitutional challenges come to the Supreme Court. So Amy Comey Barrett and uh, your boy Kavanaugh, <laughs> I bet you they're excited. They're on the court now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They get to handle all these fun cases coming their way. And will be despised by one well, half the country, no matter how they rule. So, uh, good luck uh, to them as they as they move forward. Because, uh, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of challenges. I, I think I saw this morning. You know, um, United Airlines announced that they're going to require vaccines uh, for all of their employees, or you get dust boot. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. So this is a uh, United Airlines becomes first carrier to mandate vaccine for U.S. based employees. Why not international employees? I don't know, but okay. Company acknowledged that some employees may disagree with the decision, but said everyone is safer when everyone is vaccinated. So, you know, here here you have, I think, so you, you will see a lawsuit coming from this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, how fast the Supreme Court hears it or not, I think is going to be part of what you're talking about. And the same with the stuff in New York or any city or, or state or uh, the federal government that mandates um, masks, vaccines, et cetera. Is going to be challenged on, on and where it lands is going to determine some of the stuff. And if the courts side with the mask or the vaccine side, then it just kind of is what it is. You had to either comply or you know figure out some workaround, which is yeah. kind of hard if you can't keep your job if you don't get vaccinated. Which real quick, and I haven't seen this, and maybe the United, United folks, if you've had COVID, then I don't know if this should apply or not. So I don't. Yeah, know. that's one of the questions. So like one of the scenarios is like, okay, you're in you're in New York. 
you have a heart condition, you got COVID a month ago, should you have to get vaccinated? Vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Uh, you just had it. I mean, you, you, I mean it's a small risk. I, I agree. I acknowledge it's a small risk to have any heart issues, but it, it should you take that risk if you just had COVID and you have natural mm-hmm. immunity? That's probably better than the vaccine. Um, yeah, that's it, so. Here, here's the thing. I'm I'm looking at Ryan. So the the, the angle I'm I'm thinking of it is it, like if you're a tourist and you're going to go say visit um, New York and you're not vaccinated, like how the percentage of people that's not vaccinated, those people aren't going to visit. So however much tourism that amounts to, who knows? But that sort of thing is going to start you know start to have an impact on the just from the economic status of New York city itself. Uh, but I'm wondering as they roll those out, will it stop this interstate commerce, which, you know, I don't think Florida and Texas are going to allow it for sure. Um, uh, possibly California. Um, what are some other ones? I mean, Washington, Oregon, Colorado. Well, see, you're going to have challenges. I would, I would suspect on the other side, right? So you have some people who are going to challenge and say that the government can't make you do this. And some people are going to challenge and say the government can't prevent you from doing this, right? So yeah. um, people are going to challenge Abbott's or DeSantis's authority and, and and push back in that direction. So uh, yeah, we have a we have a long road to hoe. And but to your point, which is, you know, if I'm going to go to New York City and they roll this out, well, I've got to go research. What does it mean? Do I have to have a vaccine? Like shot one, both shots. Um, you know, do I have to have my card on me? Do I log into a system? You know, like those are questions that they they don't hamper demand fully, but they do impact it in, in, in certain ways, which is if you don't have to go do it, then it's it's demanded or convenience. Then it's just how bad do you want to do it? So, um, yeah, I think this is going to keep demand. But, you know, listen, I think Austin announced that they're like level five or something over the weekend. Uh, so, you know, you, you have just kind of the vaccine passport stuff, but you also just have, um, you know, will we see more restrictive um, policies roll back out as the Delta variant kind of spreads to the country? Yeah. So today, I mean, I'm looking at the oil price right now at 66. I mean, what was it last week? 75. So is it, I mean, is it, was it dropped $9 since since our show last week? $10? Um, I'm not sure about that. I'm basing it off memory. But, uh, man, I mean, that that's a hit. Um I saw that jet foot fuel was had 71 last week. So. 71. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not too, that's not too bad. Five bucks. We just but hope it don't continue. A month ago, but a month ago it was 75. Yeah. So. Um, well, uh, in other news, Ryan, uh, Saudi Aramco reports the highest quarterly profit since 2018. Uh, so the oil price has put the Saudis back in the position that they want to be in, which is good news for them. Um, it looks like they're not going to be, you know, ramping up uh, their their drilling in a way that would destabilize the market. They're not fighting with the Russians at this point. Um, we could be, I mean, even with the Delta variant, if the prices don't drop too much, if if they can kind of restabilize and start to come back up, uh, we might be in a pretty stable market for a little while. It's really weird, right? Because you would think. If I had just told you, let's just take 2020 out and said we we go from 2019 to 2021, and we have kind of these weird things with um, you know pandemics kind of going on, uh, you have different levels of access and transportation and demands kind of uh, gone from international flights and stuff. 
know, you would think that the world producers would have a hard time keeping the price in a range, and they've done that. And so, you know, the Saudis are obviously benefiting from that. U.S. producers, um, by and large, are going to benefit from that on some level. Um, they've done a fantastic job of keeping the price, and that's what's so crazy about last year, which was the price tanked. Um, it was it was hard to recover, um, and so we've they've done a good job of balancing the market. And you know, kudos to them because uh, you can't deny the results. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, who would have thought they would have been able to manage that? Uh, that's been something that. In typical you know, uh, transitions, when markets begin to shift, uh, we have not done a good job. I wonder what. Yeah, I wonder how much the ESG is actually helping the price. Yeah, you know, because that's <laughs> so you have the ESG and you have kind of the shell's bad history of not managing its money. But I wonder how much just the ESG pressure is actually helping prevent the U.S. side from going out there and, and drilling it down too much. Well, that's a good point too. I, I think ESG, not to mention you know inflation, all those things are playing some part in uh, in keeping these prices uh, up. Um, so one thing uh, f- for demand, there's an article here from Hard Energy: China's crude oil imports rebound as state refiners return from overhauls. So um, they were in a six-month low um, because they had refiners that, that they were in the process of overhauling uh so now that those numbers are starting to jump back up so china is going to be importing um a lot more uh, so that that's gonna that's gonna help certainly uh with the demand side um, hoping to see that continue uh as far as their their economy getting back to a strong position uh, and the opportunities that that brought with it would be great for the industry yeah and i wonder um you know, on the on the China stuff, you know, they bought a lot of oil last year. It was cheap, and so I wonder how much of that is, um, they're based upon their refiners, but also based upon the price that you know, if the prices are a little soft right now at sixty five or whatever they were, we said, uh, yeah, sixty five, sixty six. That that maybe they're looking at this as an opportunity to buy. It's not seventy five, right? So prices are back down. Maybe the refineries are coming back online, but also ten dollars off a barrel, and you're buying the volume that China buys. It might be a good time for them to invest. Here's a curveball for you, Ryan. I just thought of this, so uh, apologies. <laughs> uh, so with uh, with China, they have a very strong, very strong. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong word. They have a lot of people that use a lot of energy over there because their population is so large. The one-child policy that they instituted, however long ago, looks like it's going to be bringing. Uh, a sociological difficulty. Let's state it like that. It's going to be a difficult situation coming up because of that one child policy. And they've since reversed that. And I think they're encouraging people to have children now because they see that they have a upcoming, uh, I don't know if I'd say catastrophe, but borderline it's, it's going to, it could be potentially tough. Do you think their demand for energy is going to decrease because of that policy? Or do you think the population is so large and they're largely undeveloped in a lot of areas that it still should be, a place where you should see continued growth, like a, a lot of growth. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think if you look at the per capita demand of China, it's pretty low. And so even to your point about the demographic problem that they have, uh, population problem that they have, um, their per capita energy usage or oil usage particularly is pretty low. And so as their country becomes wealthier, if you have the case, 
then you would presume that that per capita usage would go up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so just so even if their population you took the worst estimate about the population, you would still presume uh, that their that their that their GDP would go up um, on some level and um, their consumption level would go up. So that their usage would go up, and that's what people um, we talk about oil usage globally. Look how much the the, the average U.S. citizen uses of oil. You compare it with like China or India or Nigeria or wherever, you know, we are light years ahead of them. And so, you know, as those nations become wealthier, it's hard to imagine how that, you know, how that doesn't stay true for them. Yeah. So just, just for per, I mean, it's just throwing it out there. So as an American per capita, what do we use 10 times more, or is it even more drastic than that? Uh, let's see here. I can pull it up. Oh, yes. So I think it's, um, so this isn't the number I'm looking for, but this will, this will help it out here. Um, yeah. So yearly gallons per capita, the U S uses 934, China uses 138 daily oil consumption in barrels. The U S uses 19 million. China uses 12 million. Right. And they've got what one point, billion well, people we've got five times the amount of people so <laughs> right and so then the next so you go if you just look at daily oil consumption in barrels you know we're at 19.6 china's at 12.7 and then the third number three is 4.4 4.4 who is it japan no it's uh india japan's number okay. four at four million okay and russia yeah. at three million and so if you what you a fun exercise is that is to take this whole usage and then take the population um and put them side by side, and what you'll see is that there's a a lot of a lot of old demand that's coming on the market. So we're using about fifty percent more than China, and we're about five times smaller. We use twenty so, percent of the global share of oil is to the U.S. Twenty percent of the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't need a lot of oil, bro. Lot of oil. We need a lot, we need of, a lot of oil. Lot of oil. Hey, you start looking at some of those numbers, and the industry is uh, safe. I mean, we just got to get the idiots to stop trying to push it down uh, because, I, I mean, these places need it, man, really. Well, Ryan, we have an interesting article here. I saw this from uh, the Railroad Commission. Uh, Wright uh, wrote, he reduced emissions and fixed the grid by incentivizing better, better natural gas infrastructure. Uh, so he talks about ERCOT. He talks about how the grid had a hard time this summer. There was uh, something you sent me, Ryan, back. I think we were on vacation. I think I was uh, destroying you out on the on the boat uh, on the fishing oh, trip. <laughs> but you sent you sent something saying that the there was a potential for more blackouts, right? Rolling blackouts in Texas. Uh, yeah, and that- it, it it didn't come to pass, I don't believe. But it was the infrastructure was strained. The grid was strained. Um, do you, do you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah back in June, you know, yeah. it was, uh, they wanted us to turn the turn it's the thermostat uh, up like 80 or 78 or whatever it was. I can't remember. It was it was you know, pretty warm. So the, the timing of this is interesting. So Commissioner uh, Jim Wright, uh, you know, is wanting to do some kind of federal or state tax subsidy to you know help increase this. But natural gas is at four dollars right now. It's you know it's the highest it's been. Let's see here. If I can pull the chart up real quick. So natural gas. The last time it was this high would have been back in 2018, and that was just for a short kind of blip there. Um, so it's it's the highest it's been in a long time, which means that 
the market should solve some of this. Um, and you're also able to see high nitric gas because we're not, we don't have the, the, the volume of drilling in the Permian that we've had bef- before. Yeah. So you don't, you know, you have just less gas coming in the market. Um, but you know, if, if you think that, you know, tax subsidies, um, um, there's a way to incentivize pipeline growth. Obviously we're all for it. It, it helps, you know, there, you get more benefit out of doing this potentially and putting this in storage um, than you would um, by flaring it. So if people are saying, Hey, flaring's bad. Well, we've got to do something with it. You know, then why not, why not a tax subsidy? Obviously I'm, I'm low tax guy. So <laughs> anyway, we can get rid of taxes. You, you kind of got my attention. Uh, Ryan, well, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, David, Blackman talked a little bit about uh, coal, you know, and some of the possibilities for incentivizing coal um, developments. Um, this more so looking at natural gas infrastructure and having in, you know incentivizing these uh, these folks to go out and uh, build some some plants because this is this would be one of the more reliable sources of energy. Um, there was another article that came out, Ryan. We mentioned ESG. Uh, I'm not going to jump into it too much. I mean, it seems it, it's mainly I can overview. It's more so just from a perspective. So the, the title of the article is Fugitive Methane Worsens Warming, uh, New Assessments Point to Urgent Oil and Gas Fix. Um, and it's talking about uh, methane and how you, know, you get you get some of the, the, the same narrative is 20 to 80 times worse than carbon dioxide. And there is an urgent push to go in and assess the causes of these methane leaks or these methane emissions and try to fix them. Um, and I'm all for I'm all for uh, trying to trying to address the issues uh, as far as uh, you know, reducing the amount of methane emissions. Uh, but there's always the question of what is the angle that's being pushed here? Uh, why now? What, what? Because this is something that they've been talking about for a very long time. Uh, and what's mentioned, uh, I think, key to this is that the UN recently published a worldwide um, methane emissions report. And that um, that report is actually linked to in this article. And uh, I would think we're probably going to see they released it back in May. I, I think we're going to hear a good bit of uh, conversation around that report and people discussing it. Uh, there's some stuff I saw at Greta Thunberg. Thun- whatever you hire is their name. Yeah. So yeah, if you saw some of that, they, they came out. Uh, one of the guys said, look, we really need to address this. And then a little while later, he approved more drilling in the, in the UK uh, right after addressing the article. And some of the people that are very, very, I would say sincere climate activists, they see the hypocrisy in some of that. Uh, they're not like uh, John Kerry. Um, you know, the, they're not those sort of folks. Uh, I mean, Greta, I mean, I think she really believes what she's saying. And um, she sees the hypocrisy in some of these politicians that use ESG just as a platform to push their agenda. But behind the scenes, they know that they really have to support this old function. So um, I'll just be clear, John Kerry did not fly to Obama's party. He flew to his house <laughs> in the area and then took the ferry to the party. Like, can you can't make this up. I, I read that. They're like, Carrie did not fly to, the, to his party. He took the ferry. It's like, well, wait, wait. he took the ferry from D.C.? That doesn't make any sense. So, no, oh, he flew to his, you know, to the town, at, went to his residence, uh, and then took the ferry from there to there. So he took the ferry. Oh, it's like, well, <laughs> I, he did fly then. You, 
He just yeah. didn't. Yeah. He just didn't land on the strip. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, it was Obama. What happened? My invite. I wanted to come. You know, whatever. I'd have phone up there like John Kerry. I'd have phone commercial though. That's the kind of guy I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder. Uh, I, I wonder how much flack they're going to get for that because uh, I mean, on one hand, you got the Delta variant that, uh, especially on the left, you know, they're they're really pushing it pretty hard. Well, um, you, hold on. You mentioned John Kerry. This morning, he sent out a tweet. This is, this is not, this is, this is serious. <clears throat> Get serious now. <clears throat> John Kerry. Today's report from the IPCC underscore CH, that's the people we're talking about, shows that we cannot afford further delay. The science has been certain for decades, but the latest report makes it abundantly clear the climate crisis is not only here, it's growing increasingly severe. This is from the man who flew to a birthday party over the weekend. Sorry, take a ferry, take a ferry. Take a ferry, do it. Um, the extreme events will only become more drastic in the future. This is why we cannot wait. Now is the time to call for action. I mean, we live in the twilight. We, we live in the twilight zone. Like, really, we just, this is crazy. And to yeah, your I mean, point, this is what makes, uh, with the, comment, the recent comments I've seen about Greta, which are, I don't know, a few months back, was some of this stuff is what makes her mad. This, this right here. The flying all over the world, world doing stuff and then, you know, act like you're mad. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, what hope do we have if these people are in charge? I, I just, uh, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's tough. It's tough seeing all this stuff. I mean, the, the, the issue is a lot of these people are benefiting, making a lot of money doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we don't look for cleaner energy. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm for that. I just I think people need to at least have a critical eye with with the actions some of these folks are taking because they're clearly hypocrites completely. Um, so we have another uh, article here, Ron. This one is from our pal Sergio Chapa. Uh, he he wrote an article. Texas oil reg regulator proposes tax credits for natural gas infrastructure, and uh, just wanted to uh, to mention this one because uh, you get a little bit of commentary from. Sergio, just kind of giving you some further breakdown of that. Um, How about our boys at Pioneer, though? Yeah, man. So, so last week, I mean, here's the thing: Pioneer last week had how much? What was the losses? I know that it was in notes. So uh, there's relative, there's some relativity to the article that I mentioned last week. But they had reported big losses. But this week, we see an article that they are the most active operator in the Permian, the most active, like. Not Chevron, not Exxon, not EOG, Pioneer. They are the most active. Oh, uh, did, it, did it come out? Let's see here. Uh, did it come out that they actually had the losses, or is that just because remember? Remember, I think when we record uh, recorded, yeah, it came out that next day, I believe the the actual reports, and I didn't actually follow up. I mean, uh, um, but but while you're looking that up, I mean, one of the things I found interesting was Scott Shot Scott Shawfield Sheffield said that he expects that the shell growth is not going to be that much in the coming years. And the oil and gas companies continue to focus on capital discipline and shareholder returns. He says that um, anticipates output in the Permian Basin to grow roughly 5%, 5% over the coming years, uh, while other basins will be flat and face declines. Um, and he also went on to say that they are not looking for any large acquisitions in the Midland Basin. Um, 
And so, anyways, um, so going back to our, our previous comps, com- comments about the price, where it's at, we're just going to Sheffield's right here. Um, that you only see a five percent growth in the coming years, and I don't know what that means for the sector as a whole, because you have to presume that the that OPEC will keep the prices down or demand will keep the prices down. Um, um, but it's interesting that he doesn't see a lot of growth happening um, in the future. Yeah, so uh, he he mentions here uh, basically. Slide number seven. So this is a transcript. As you can see, a slide seven. The product of pioneers, high quality assets, top tier capital efficiency drive, significant free cash flow generation, accounting in greater than twenty three billion through twenty twenty six. Doesn't really address. So they expected to be eight hundred thirty two million dollar loss on its hedges, and then it says that loss turned out to be less. Pioneer reported a three hundred eighty million dollar. Reported $380 million or $1.54 per share of net income. After adjusting for losses on its hedging contracts, it would have earned $629 million or two twenty-five a share. Um, so, so they're doing well. They didn't do as bad as they thought they were going to do. Yep. They're able to turn it around a little bit. That's hey, good. Yeah. Set the bar low. That's right. Just set the bar low. Just come out every quarter. We're expecting to take a bath. It's going to be bad this quarter. We don't know how we're going to make it. Our doors might close. And then just overperform every time. That's that, the way to do it. That's that's what I would do. I think that's uh did you learn that from like politics or politicians or <laughs> well they do the opposite, right? They tell you they're gonna do a bunch of stuff and then everybody yeah. so <laughs> just do the opposite of what they're doing. All right, we have one last article. Well, actually, actually we don't run. I actually hit all of them. So that I think covers yeah, everything and, we have for the week. And we do have one other thing. I will be playing a clip from inside the war room with the folks from Sky High for Kids. They do cancer. Uh, they do. Um, they help fund cancer research for uh, childhood cancer, and so I will tack that on at the end of this podcast. So be here, sure to check that out. They give the oil and gas industry a big shout out. So I wanted to play that on here for all the folks out there who make stuff like that happen. I did not know this, Josh. Um, when they started, I think they said forty or sixty years ago. Not Sky High for Kids, but um, the person who I guess founded them. Um, uh, no, no. no. I think how they, anyways, 60 years ago, we'll say, whoever the person was, I can't remember. Leukemia had a 4% survival rate for kids. It's at 94% now. Hmm. It's either within 40 or 60 years. And the problem is, is that childhood uh, cancer, it kind of, it's kind of a weird deal, right? So it, it impacts not enough kids to get the amount of government research and funding that you would need to solve the problems. So it's kind of a good thing. It doesn't impact a lot of kids. However, because it doesn't impact them, there's not a lot of research and money's devoted to it, right? So it's kind of one of those yeah. weird, weird deals. And so their organization helps raise money for um, ending childhood cancer. And so leukemia now has a 94% survival rate. And the number one killer of kids is childhood cancer. I did not know that. Anyways, so, they, so I will play a portion of that. You can go listen to the full interview on Inside the War Room. Um, but she talks about all the money that they give, that they get from oil and gas people. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Yeah, it was great. It was great uh, to talk to Brittany. So with that being said, we'll be back next week. Until then, keep climbing. So you've, we talked about oil and gas and this is inside the world podcast, but we're going to talk about oil and gas for a second because we're going to portion this on the text oil and gas podcast as well. Um, But I, I think this, you know, 
the oil and gas industry, I've been involved since 2005, I think. Um, and I always, I don't know, for years, I've kind of had this saying that right now, and we can take this to cancer as well, but right now, there is someone somewhere who's getting a heart transplant. And there's a helicopter taking that heart from one hospital to the next. And all of that is made possible by oil and gas. So before you talk about getting rid of it, just realize you're wanting to kill people today. If we snapped our finger, got rid of it, you want to kill people today. All of this cancer research, all of the plastic, all of the building, whether it's in Uganda or Memphis or Houston or Dallas, is made possible by oil and gas. Not only that, oil and gas people are very generous with their dollars. Extremely generous with their dollars. Extremely generous. Not only do they do sky high, if you follow oil and gas, they're doing shootouts and fishing tournaments all throughout the year that they're giving to all kinds of causes. Um, And so it, it perturbs me to no end how our industry is portrayed from the outside as we're not generous people. We don't care about people. Um, and so I wanted to give you the floor just to talk about, you, you've touched on some, but just the responsible and gas, um, you know, the industry, how they played a role in this and give them the attaboy that they deserve because they don't get it quite enough in my opinion. Yeah. I would love this opportunity to shed as much positive light on this industry as possible. I personally, Ryan as well, worked in oil and gas, starting my career in 2007, and literally just ended my career a couple of months ago. So I've worked in the industry for over 14 years, and I've seen, uh, lived, and breathed the generosity and the core values of majority of the people in this industry. From day one, the first check that was ever written to Sky High, which was at Edie's Restaurant in Lafayette, Louisiana, came from Mr. Donald Mosing, who was the CEO and um, you know next generation of running Frank's casing crew. And you know, Mr. Don didn't hesitate in regards to what he was donating his money to and encouraged me and Crystal to go to Frank's casing crew's shop and walk around with a bucket and visit every single one of his employees that were in FRCs and turning tools and welding and we walked around that day with a bucket Good and people enough. put in, listen to me, people that made probably $35,000 a year at that time put in every dollar they had Absolutely. in their front pocket, Ryan. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what got sky high off the ground. It was every single one of those people giving what they could. I, I remember distinctly a man putting like 35 cents in the bucket and he was so sorry. That's all he had. And I told him that is enough. That is enough. Thank you. Right. You are going to impact a child's life. So we launched the first sporting clay tournament in Lafayette. The community, you know, received it extremely well. We donated $50,000 to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital that year and every single company that supported the sporting clay tournament was in the oil and gas industry. I had no idea what that even meant at the time. I ended up following the oil and gas industry and starting my career in 07 and moving to Houston. And that's when we launched the official 501c3 of Sky High because we knew we had started something special. We didn't know and have any idea what it meant, you know, what it is today. But we knew that we had access and we were able to build relationships with an industry and a community of people that are literally living and breathing their core values and are grounded and will give the shirt off their back to help anyone in need. And so 08, we started the Houston event. 
from 08 to 2013, we were Lafayette Houston, Lafayette Houston, oil and gas, oil and gas supported, Anadarko Petroleum, you know, now Oxy was our backbone and supplied hundreds of volunteers for us to be able to pull off the events we were hosting because Ryan, for the first seven years from 07 to 13, we were 100% volunteer. You had six girls from Lafayette, Louisiana in their 20s running now two massive events raising almost $2 million a year with the support of the oil and gas industry. And we were doing it with volunteers. So without Anadarko, without Champion X, without Strike USA, without so many of our volunteers and donors in the oil and gas industry, there is no possible way that I could sit here today and tell you that we would have been able to save the lives we've saved and invest in the treatment and facilities that we invest in without the oil and gas industry, period. They have literally saved hundreds of thousands of children now around the world because of their support and generosity and their time and their resources. And listen, this organization was built with boots on the ground, with mm -hmm. grinding it out, loading trailers at midnight, hauling them from one city to the next. I mean, exhaustion. If you didn't have a Red Bull in your hand for the three-day event, you were, you were going to pass out in the corner. I mean, we killed ourselves to host those events and we could not have done that without this industry. So for the people out there listening, before you jump to judge what's produced, what goes in the air, okay, and whatever other environmental concerns that so many people have, some warranted, I'm not going to say that some are not, but the advancement of this industry today from where it was is wildly different. So our safety, our everything, right? You have to think about exactly what you just said. The oil and gas industry makes the world turn. In a third world country where there is no electricity, kids aren't able to go to school. They're not educated and cannot grow up to be the next leader to make their community that much better. That is the reality. Those are facts. They're statistics. The button on your shirt, your water bottle, your bicycle, your tent, to go camping with your family. I don't care, even for North Face to say, we don't want your business, okay? Except all of your clothing is made from petroleum products. I just think people don't take time to do the research and understand the core and the root. But what the oil and gas industry has done for the childhood cancer community is like no other. In fact, St. Jude and Texas Children's will tell you that we've been able to penetrate the oil and gas industry through our work and our relationships. And they get to receive funding now that, that they don't think they would have ever been able to, to receive, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, Ryan, we are pro oil and gas, okay? We are pro energy. We are very realistic in terms of renewable resources, safety, and getting better, okay? The industry is going to get better and better and better, and we're going to work together to make it better, make it safer, make it more environmentally friendly. We want that. We don't not want that. Of course we want that. But, you know, it's not like turning a light switch on. It's going to take some time. It's going to take innovation. It's going to take people, brains, power, you know? Well, and, and we'll, we'll take it back to where we started, which is um, – at the beginning 
40, 60 years ago, the oil and gas industry is not the same as it is today, just like childhood leukemia was not the same as it is today. And so here you have an industry that is providing the, the source material for all this research to happen. And then they're funding it on some level as well. It's, um, it's something that doesn't get uh, talked about enough. I'm proud to be part of this industry and always will be. Um, I, I, and I tell people, you should walk to work if you're in the oil and gas business thinking you save lives because you do. Yes. You're not a doctor. I'm not, I don't know anything about childhood cancer other than what you've told me. I can't do any of that. But my participation in this industry is it, just because it's the, how the market works is participating in saving lives. And so you should be very proud of your industry. Can you get better? Sure. That's, that's all fine and dandy. But don't ever forget that we are a vital important uh, importance to um, saving lives. And so childhood cancer and the, this, when I see the sky high events and the people, their passion for it, it just reminds me of just um, how honored we should be to be a uh, part of this.